Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Oh yeah, it's March. We got through February. Softball's still going. We're still kicking here in this wonderful sport, and we're still kicking here at the Out of the Box podcast. So much happening in college softball, and to break it all down is my partner, Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Tom, we were not together at all this week. I still feel like the viewers and the listeners got the best of both worlds because we were not together. (laughs) Well, I certainly hope so. You left me alone by myself to talk so much during six games, but yeah, I appreciate it. A lot of fun, and uh, yeah, hopefully people got to listen and watch us in two different forms all weekend long because... In a shocking development, every game was both streamed and on radio. I know. Stop it. Stop it, I know. Tom. I know. It's odd, but yes. We got we a lovely tweet from a woman. I believe it was Monica Teske. I hope I'm not incorrect in, in citing the uh, the tweeter. But she listened to game one of a doubleheader. And uh, game two, she watched me in Sydney. And no. that just, that's, I'm I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> that, warmed, that warmed my heart. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to go through here on this episode yes. of the Out of the Box podcast. We will start at the plate and talk about Alabama. Pretty good weekend, Tom. Things went well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, especially, especially in the circle. Things were really, really, really good. We will dive into the pitching in the at the plate segment of the show. And then we will advance to first, talk about the SEC. Again, a very busy weekend across the conference. We'll also have FGCL player of the week once again. We'll see who gets it for week three. We'll steal second with our good buddy, Kayla Bro. Last time we saw her, we were in a poker room of some kind in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, how times have changed, Tom. It, it was really one of the last like weeks of, of normalcy uh, of last year when we talked to Kayla bro and it was a lot of fun talking to her then. And now obviously so much has happened and I look forward to talking with her again here today. We will round third after that with buy or sell. And then we will head home this week's top five, our top five college softball stadiums. All right. That is rated. However, we want to take that, whether yeah. it's best to broadcast from, Favorite just in terms of being able to watch a game, nicest in terms of facility, you know, however you want to view it, you can include roads. I did not include roads. I wanted to talk about everything else. Um, oh, so you didn't have roads. Okay. I did not include roads on my top five. Uh, I, I felt like that wasn't fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, n- not only because it's, it's our home stadium, but it is the largest on-campus softball facility in the nation. Great. You know, it has the, the best atmosphere. Uh, because there's so many people get in there plus the the team's usually really good uh so okay if if we're not keep if we're not these are the top five roads i will say roads wouldn't have been my number one anyway really no wow if we were including roads how how dare you i know i'm sorry so i have so many questions (laughs) first of all how dare you Um, we're already having the pod turned off we'll also have off the wall because people are stupid and I, i i'm gonna I don't want to say stupid. I don't want to be complaining about people. I want to help teach people. This episode is going to be called Lessons Learned because we learned a lot about teams across softball and we're trying to help the people who don't seem to understand certain things that we're going to discuss in the off the wall segment. So that's where we are. But let's uh, let's start at the plate, Tom. Okay. You and I haven't actually really sussed out our feelings on the week, Alabama beat UAB 7-1, sweeps the Crimson Classic, two wins against Memphis, 
two wins against UNC, a win against Troy, 14 and 0 on the year. Team batting average for the Crimson Classic was a little low, 252. There were a couple things here and there that we can pinpoint, but before we get into a couple big storylines, I did want to start off with the pitching because my goodness, Lexi Kilfoyle's ball was dancing maybe better than it has in the rest of her career. Yeah, that does one thing that uh, Coach Murphy mentioned to me in the pregame interview before the Troy game, because I asked him about Lexi pitching two straight days after the course the no hitter in uh, against North Carolina on Saturday. And he said that sometimes when she's pitching on the second day, she doesn't try to throw it as hard and her ball actually moves a little bit more and the bite, there's a little bit more bite to the drop. And I think we saw that against Troy. That was as, as sharp as I've seen a drop ball from Lexi Kilfoyle since she's been here. And that's just such a huge weapon because as we talked about before with this pitching staff, and now specifically when it's either Montana Fouts or Lexi Kilfoyle, that Kilfoyle, they throw, they're so different. They can both throw it extremely hard. Yeah. But Kilfoyle has that drop ball where Montana has the rise ball. And uh, it, it, it's a nightmare for whoever pitches for Alabama. It's a nightmare for the opponent. And I thought we got good performances from Crystal Goodman, who looked yeah. really sharp. And that's as good game. as I've seen. That's as good as I've seen Crystal since her freshman year, too. Yeah. Her, Jayla her, Torrance. Her first year in Alabama, not her freshman year, but yeah. Uh, Jayla looked really good. It was a great one two punch between Montana Fouts and, and Jayla Torrance that we saw against Memphis. Uh, I, that me could just, be something moving forward. Yeah. I have to throw this. And we've talked a lot about the closer role and, you know, moving around pieces in this bullpen. I'm totally fine with the Jayla Torrance that I saw close out the Memphis game. If Jayla Torrance wants to be the closer, if that that's her role yeah. this year, I'm totally cool with it. I think yeah. she's been the most successful of the pitchers that we've seen come in and close out a game because, you know, she, she came in, the situation got a little worse and then she got out of it and was untouchable the rest of the time. Yeah. I mean, and it was some, some weird stuff happened. It was very similar to what happened a couple of weeks ago when it was mm. Kilfoyle because she had that ball that came out of her hand yeah. and, and went back to second base. that time But then after that, she was fine. So it may be a situation where if, if they have the roles defined and the relievers can come in in a clean inning, uh, that, that's obviously the best case scenario there. If you know Jayla's going to come in, but we only want her to see six batters, you know, we don't want her to line up the turnover, bring her in to start the sixth inning, and maybe she goes six, seven, instead of having to come in and, and get, in, get out of a jam. But, you know, obviously you don't want to get into jams, but those happen. <laughs> so overall, I think an A-plus weekend by the pitching staff with, of course, oh, Stephanie yeah. Van Brakel Prothro's birthday in the mix doesn't get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was the other thing that, that Coach Murphy wanted to throw out there, too, is that, you know, give a lot of credit to Stephanie Van Brakel Prothro for calling a great game, uh, a great weekend, obviously, but with a no-hitter as well. The catchers have done a good job, uh, both Bailey Hempill and Abby Dore. Kudos all around to everybody involved with the pitching staff for this weekend. Against some some pretty – those weren't shabby offenses Alabama was going against. I think Troy is going to be really, really good. They have a really good offense. Uh, Brittany Pickett's one of the best hitters that will, that Alabama will see, especially in the non-conference. Um, and Ty was able to keep them all down. All right. We do have to address the injury bug. Mm. It's back. It bit. It's not great. We saw Jenna go down against UAB. We noticed the KB sides injury against LSU, and I, I don't think we realized what we were seeing at the time. 
We have not been given a timetable on this. All we know is what we've seen, which is Jenna Johnson on crutches and KB sides in a boot. The one thing that I would feel semi-confident about is that I would assume KB sides will be back sooner than Jenna Johnson at this point. But either way, you know, they're out for at least a little bit more time, perhaps. And, uh, and we saw Patrick Murphy this past weekend have to maneuver some pieces. Cat Grill getting her first career start. Kyra Lockhart getting her first career start. Kayla Davis getting her first start out in right field. Savannah Woodard starting out in right field. Was there anything that you thought worked particularly well, or is there a lineup that, that you would prefer to stick with maybe Wednesday against Mississippi State? I'm not sure. It could be one of those situations where somewhat like we've always talked with pitching, but maybe hitting wise, what is the best matchup that you can have going on? I thought Cat Grill has did a very good job in the nine hole. And that adds like a, an extra element of speed because you'll have innings there where the, the three batters coming up are Brown, Grill, and Mac, and that in some sort of order, which uh, that's a lot of speed to get on the base pass. And if they're on the base pass, then when, uh, either Kaylee Tower, or Bailey Hemphill comes up. It there a lot can happen. Maybe that might be the the main one. But I thought Savannah Woodard actually was fine. I mean, she didn't have a a, a chance to make a play in right field, uh, so it kind of worked out that way. But it, it was it's odd how you know when the season started, we were trying to find and there were too many outfielders for positions, and now there are too many infielders for positions. So <laughs> they're taking some people out to the outfield. But if that's a way where you can can work it to get in the in the game could be a silver lining to the whole situation but obviously you want kb sides back that's that's huge to, to get her back and uh, i agree i think that the timetable is not official of any type but murph said you know a couple weeks for both of them and that i was actually relieved when he said that about jenna because yeah. uh, that was that was scary looking when it happened so hopefully she'll be able to come back too but that we, we need definitely need them back for uh, for the conference slate that's for sure and i don't fault patrick murphy in any way being cautious with the injury to kb yeah. and you know it's week three and if you want to win a national championship kb sides is going to be a big part of that so you don't want to rush anything yeah. with her or jenna no no need to rush it that's the one thing about having these expanded rosters it might not be your op- optimum lineup but you can send out very good lineups uh, even with some people out. So, uh, yeah, no reason to rush anybody, get everybody as healthy as possible for the stretch run. All right, let's move ahead to this week before we advance to first. Mississippi State on Wednesday, Kent State doubleheader Friday, Northern Iowa doubleheader Saturday, South Alabama on Sunday. I mean, the weekend slate is what it is. South Alabama's beaten Georgia. You know, yeah. none of those teams are, are going to – I think win their conferences. The big story this week is Mississippi State. I mean, the Wednesday game has such a big meaning because it's non-conference, but it's SEC foes because it's the only time these teams will meet in the regular season. And I think that's got to be the main focus for this week in in every way, shape, and form. And you get to – I think you've got a situation where – this is the game, one of the few games where you might want a Fouts relieving Kilfoil situation or a Kilfoil relieving Fouts situation. I think both aces need to be on the table for this Wednesday game. I would think so, especially considering, you know, I've, I've been on, on the bandwagon for Mississippi State. You know, the, the one-two punch of Davidson and Fa are as scary as you'll see anywhere in the SEC. Uh, so... 
the but the thing with Mississippi State is their pitching has allowed a lot of runs. They, yeah. You're you're going to be able to score with them. So, but you're going to have to do that because it was interesting this past weekend for Alabama. Alabama didn't hit as well against competition that what isn't as highly uh, projected as the weekend before with LSU. Again, some of that was because we faced two SEC level pitchers. Uh, Pickett for North Carolina and Johnson for Troy. I think either one of them would probably be the main starter for Mississippi State right now. Yeah. If they, so that's going to, that's going to be their drawback. You know, Alabama dominant pitching wise, I have to have a, a shootout and see what happens, how the, how they all do in a slugfest uh, with Mississippi State. Cause that's what Mississippi State wants for sure. So obviously we don't want to completely overlook the weekend games because, you know, you want to treat every opponent with respect. And yes, Mississippi State's big, but you can't afford any slip-ups against Kent State, Northern Iowa, South Alabama. So that being said, I think you can try a few more things if you want to with the lineup, with the pitching rotation, maybe even get Jayla Torrance her first career start if you really desire to give that a shot. Yeah, you got to – you got to – do the always walking that fine line of giving rest when you can, but also keeping your your number ones as sharp as possible too. So I don't think you like give Montana and Lexi the weekend off or anything. But yeah, I agree. This could be one where you give Jayla Torrance a start, Sarah Cornell maybe another start, Lexi. I mean, uh, Crystal Goodman. All of them, I could definitely see them all getting at least one start this weekend. South Alabama is not a slouch. They're 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 a good team. They've beaten Georgia, as you mentioned. You and I, you know, Coach Murphy's alma mater is always always fun to play them, and then Kent State too. So, which is Coach Saban's alma mater. So it it all it's an all full circle thing. Yeah, it all comes together. <laughs> Nick Saban, Patrick Murphy, and Becky Clark at South Alabama just won her 600th game over the weekend. Yeah, so. there you go. Congratulations and- to her. And the Alabama opponent in my very first game calling for Alabama in 2015 was South Alabama in Mobile. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Do you remember, Tom, 2018? It was my second year with you. We did the 2017 thing. I jumped in halfway through, but our first real year together, and we started mm-hmm. off in Mobile. Yes. Yes. And Rachel Bobo had an RBI, but was called for being out of the box. Oh, I was so <laughs> mad. So mad. Little did we know what that would lead to. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are with a podcast with a name based on a rule that we both despise. Maybe we have (laughs) Rachel Bobo to thank for all of this. (laughs) For all of this. Took a triple away from Lexus back against Washington. I mean, against UCLA, for goodness sakes. That whole game could have been different if that triple stood up. But no. Her, her little toe was outside the batter's box, so we got to take a triple away, and now all of a sudden we can't hit Fremo, and I don't want to think about that game anymore. All downhill from there, Tom. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> but it's uphill from here because we've got a lot coming up on the pod. It's time to advance the first. Who should we be? It's a little tougher. The hitting was not the story this week. <laughs> it was not. Uh, you know, you know what? I think we should be the person who has taken advantage of virtually every opportunity that's been given her to this year. Maddie Morgan. Yeah, let's be Maddie Morgan. Yeah. All right, whether it's the right side, the left side, up the middle, she's getting singles to all parts of the park. That's what we like to see. Yes. (laughs) So we are Maddie Morgan. It's time to advance to first. When we come back, 
a week three recap. A lot going on in the SEC. We'll cover it all here on the Out of Box Podcast. Hello, we're back. Just like LSU, maybe. I don't know. That's the team we're going to talk about as we advance the first here on the Out of the Box podcast. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. A lot happening in the SEC, Tom. Not as many quote-unquote upsets, but this was the week where the SEC teams kind of just didn't show up in a lot of the big games. I don't really know how to evaluate it. But but they did in some of the others. So it's like, and it was sometimes the same team that did both. So yeah, there's still, we always talk about, you know, the Kentuckys of the world being enigmas. The entire conference is, is kind of getting into that, into that mold right now. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it's crazy. You know, we follow it and break it down as much as anybody within the conference and we're three weeks in and I have more questions and answers right now. Maybe this is an episode of WandaVision that we were just talking about during the <laughs> <Yes>. break. <laughs> it is. I'm not sure. It We're kind of like split in between the 90s and 2000s time of WandaVision right now, where we really don't know what's going on. We thought we did, but now we have no clue. Well, maybe the theme of the weekend for LSU is what is grief, if not love persevering? Because my gosh, the Tigers really had to work hard for a semi-okay weekend. Right. They sweep Louisiana, which you'll take, but get swept by Oklahoma State, which highlighted, I think, the main issue, weirdly, the offense. Even in Louisiana wins, the hitting just wasn't consistent. Part of that was good pitching, but at the same time, I mean, you've got to get, like, a couple hits. I mean, gosh, they had five hits in the two Oklahoma State games combined. And, yeah, Oklahoma State obviously has good pitching, but – you know, we've been talking about it from the preseason, how it wasn't just the four-headed pitching monster of LSU. They had one of the, if not the best lineup in the conference from top to bottom. And we saw it against Alabama. We didn't see hardly, you know, uh, Andrews did hardly anything in the, at the plate. You know, outside of Taylor Pleasance, they really didn't have a whole lot. Now, some of that was Montana Fouts and Alexa Kilfoyle being really, really good. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a great offense, you're supposed to be able to hit some of that really good pitching so yeah they just all hadn't come together for LSU yet yeah and then this weekend it was Andrews doing a lot of heavy lifting and just not a lot of help behind her you know they're playing an extremely tough non-conference schedule it's similar to what Alabama played in 2020 and if you're as we saw with Alabama if you're not clicking on all cylinders you can lose a lot of games really quickly uh, against some really good competition not something you can't pull yourself out of but it, it certainly digs you quite a hole to start things off with. Yeah, and obviously winning the two Louisiana games, great, congrats. I'm still not – I feel like I didn't learn anything new about LSU, except maybe that the Gorsuch-Rise Ball change-up combo might be back more or less, but I'm, I still have my concerns, and I, I think you're right. There's time to fix it, and, you know, better now than in May, like most right. years, right? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're kind of maybe they're reversing their usual uh, pattern. I'm sure Beth Torino would rather them just be solid the whole year. <laughs> but that seems not to be the case. Speaking of another team kind of being all over the place in the big games, Mississippi State, two and three in their Texas trip, split with Texas State, an eight seven tight loss with Texas. They lost to Baylor. They beat Houston. 
Mia Davidson had eight hits this week, seven RBI, three home runs. She looks like she's kind of back to where she needs to be. But the troubling number, and I think this will be the number to watch when State comes to Tuscaloosa on Wednesday, this weekend they had a team ERA of 5.03. That's uh, that's not going to get it done. No. The caveat for getting full on with Mississippi State was, yes, they have the powerful lineup, but it was could Emmy Williamson and company continue what they look to have started in 2020, which is really kind of, you know, be solid to – you know, above average to really, really good in the pitching circle and not seeing that so far here this year uh, against admittedly some tougher competition than they're playing in 2020, but still you're going to have to be, you got to, you got to keep, because you're not going to be able to hit, you know, me and Fa as great as they are, they're not going to hit home runs every single game. (laughs) So I mean, you have to pitch to win sometimes. I mean, 10 runs against Baylor. Baylor was shut down by UConn and Ole Miss. I mean, come on. And didn't they jump out to like a six nothing lead or something in that game? It was. They, uh, I think Mississippi State scored the first two or three runs, and then Baylor yeah. scored, and then Mississippi, St- and then it was back and forth. Yeah. So I mean, State had the you know had the momentum and, and could have kind of run away and even maybe run rolled that game if you get the pitching. But then Baylor came back and and just hammered them right back. They're going to play a lot of slugfest type games like that, but that's going to be tough to maintain that once you get into conference play and. Alabama, hopefully, will give them a taste of it on Wednesday. Let's move on to Florida. Gators gave up one run in four games. They swept two over Louisville. They walked off McNeese. But, I mean, I am so confused because (laughs) I really thought we were going to see the Florida of old. I really thought they were going to be back to, like, 2018 status. I believe in Charlotte Eccles. I believe in Lindemann. I believe in Hannah Adams, who had the walk-off against McNeese. But – it's it's been really inconsistent so far for no real apparent reason. I wonder if it's because they've got the big question mark at short. They've been kind of moving three players in there. Kinsey Gale, Sarah Longley, both FGCL players, might I add. And mm-hmm. also uh, Callie Reese, who has been getting the start, but is hitless this year. So maybe that has the offense and the lineup just completely out of whack. I'm not sure, but there's something not right with the Gators right now. And while I do think Tim Walton will fix it at some point, it is a little disconcerting to see them struggling so much. Yeah, it seems like they could really use a certain player to get a certain waiver to be able to play, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah, it's been really weird. They've been very similar to Washington as far as just – you know, living right on the edge and not really dominating some of the opponents they should be dominating. Uh, but they've been able to get the wins where Washington has suffered some losses. And I think it's because they have a deeper pitching staff. If you're going to struggle and especially struggle early, I think it's better to struggle at the plate because as the weather warms up, usually the really good bat starts warming up. Uh, so I think they're going to be okay as long as that pitching staff remains as uh, consistent and dominant as they've been. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on them at the same time. You know, I was sold on them being mediocre last year and, and they were really, really good. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to jump off and say that they're not going to be this year. I think they're probably going to be right there at the end, like they always are, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm still not hundred percent sure of what they're doing. Quick, uh, quick shout out game two of that Louisville sweep. Mm-hmm. Our girl, Jennifer Linhart went out in relief. Through six strikeouts and three and two-thirds innings, no hits against Florida. There you go. Good job. 
I don't want to say we were right, but I think we were right. <laughs> She's good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Return of the half. Oh boy. Mary half is back. Tom. We liked watching her as a freshman. There was something special about her. There was, there was just a talent that was impossible to look away from. She had the injury and then last year, she never looked right when we saw her in Tuscaloosa and beforehand. But now, oh boy, Mary Half is back. She threw a no-hitter against Texas Tech. Good team. Five innings, 10 strikeouts. On the year, 5-1, and one, a .68 ERA. She's given up seven runs. Overall, four of them were in the opener against Oklahoma State. I mean... Arkansas suddenly is a lot scarier because Autumn Storms is struggling right now, but I feel like she'll get back into form enough to where they are a one-two punch that if they're on, they're a lot to win a series. <clears throat> Which is, you know, one of the things we saw it play out almost just as it's as it's written by the script uh, in the weekend series with Alabama, the only one we got in 2020 in the conference where Autumn Storms was unhittable on Friday. <clears throat> Alabama got to Mary Half on Saturday, and then Storms came back on Sunday, and Alabama had it totally had her number. That was the thing, Autumn Storms. It's All-American Autumn Storms on Friday. Sunday, you can take the All-American off. But now, if Mary Half has reached this level, you could maybe go Mary Half, Autumn Storms, Mary Half, and then you're, you're, you're in business. And we have always believed Mary Half is a better second time against an opponent pitcher than autumn storms is right just so because if, she's if, more k pitch she's got the rise she's got the change up if you have the confidence that you can throw half out there on friday that might alleviate some of the issues with autumn storms and with this with that offense arkansas all of a sudden becomes a, a top tier team in this league yeah we'll see what they look like when they get into really good offensive teams you know texas tech and what they were a couple years ago but right. I like what I'm seeing. I think this mm-hmm. is this is a Razorback team that's ready to make noise. Yeah, I think that's why both of us were a little higher on them than uh, the preseason polls indicated. Uh, when we talked to Courtney Diefel in the SEC Media Days, we got a really good feeling from her that things were things were uh, on the right trajectory, and I think they will continue to be so in Fayetteville. Speaking of pitchers that are back, SEC Pitcher of the Week is Ashley Rogers. You had three pitchers in the conference throw a no hitter and none of them got pitcher of the week because rogers was so good 19 innings 41 strikeouts one earned run six hits and uh by the way only one walk i read that terribly out of order but either way the dominance albeit against you know light competition was very much on display and i'll back up what i've said all year long ashley rogers to me is the scariest opposing pitcher in the sec and despite all the praise we just heaped on mary half i don't think it's close uh, obviously you know the loss of her in the in the early part of the 2020 season for tennessee was the main reason why they struggled and that they were about to get her back you know tennessee was going to be right there in the conference last year and uh definitely there this year no reason to not think that yeah they're playing a non-conference game this week against texas a&m they're going to College Station. It'll be Vols and Aggies. Texas wasn't, that, wasn't that where they were going when everything got shut down last year? That's right. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So be careful when you get on that plane. Or maybe they'll go through the portal and we're, we're, all, we're all resetting things. 
perhaps take a bus might be my <laughs> <laughs> might be my advice you can Try turn chartering. that around. see what happens <laughs> you can turn that around a lot easier <laughs> than delta texas a&m got the sweep over tulsa you know, I uh, I haven't gotten to watch much of AM, if I'm being quite honest. And we're going to fly through these last couple bullet points here. But I, I think we'll truly find out where AM is hitting, pitching against Tennessee. Herzog has looked good. The pitching numbers are good. But how did they hold up against one of the best? We'll find out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what it all comes down to. If, if Herzog isn't uh, where she needs to be, then it's going to be tough for AM to be successful. Auburn throws another no hitter. Maddie Pinta's got two this year. Goodness, what's going on down on the plains? I don't know. Samantha Yarbrough still like six innings this year. Not not much of anything really, and they haven't needed her. Pinta's been great. Well, that I mean that's a uh, that's an added element that we were certainly not expecting down there. So uh, it really we'll, we'll see that we'll see them in just a couple of weeks, and we'll find out. It makes that first conference series totally fascinating. I have no idea what Mickey Dean will do with the pitching rotation there. We'll talk about it when the time comes. But they have more arms than I thought. Auburn's a little more dangerous than I expected. Yeah, me too. So Alabama needs to get healthy this weekend before that that series comes up. That's for sure. I said uh, earlier I dropped an oh no. Here I'm dropping an oh no for South Carolina. Ah, I see what you did there. Thank you, you partner. Kelsey O this year has a 3.77 ERA in 13 innings. South Carolina went 4 and 1 on the weekend but fell to Duke 5 to 1. O did not pitch that game. It was uh, Carson Oaks who did well, but you know, Duke still won the game. Again, a team I haven't gotten to actually physically watch. I still think while you might have been a little ambitious with last in the SEC, bottom 4 seems likely for this team, especially if O can't get on track because I don't care how many innings you pitch. She's too good for a three, seven, seven ERA. Right. And which that was my thought process on why I picked them to finish 13th was we haven't seen O healthy since it seems like the Bill Clinton administration. So, um, you know, it's been a while. We can't just assume that she's going to be, uh, even if she is physically hundred percent healthy, is she going to be able to get back to the level of pitcher that she was? And if she's not, then I just didn't see too much else in that staff that's going to keep them in game. So that that was my reasoning. Duke's not a bad team. They've now beaten two SEC teams in South Carolina and LSU. That's a team, at especially at home, South Carolina should beat. Anything you want to say about Ole Miss and Missouri? I don't really have anything much to add. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, they're they're playing ambitious schedules. I think they're still kind of where where we thought they were. Uh, Missouri may be a little bit better. And Ole Miss kind of, you know, yeah. they their type of team. They can beat anybody, but they can certainly lose to anybody at any point. Big games in week four. We talked about Wednesday. The big one is Mississippi State, Alabama. It's not close. Thursday, Troy Auburn. And I mm-hmm. see a very interesting Leanna Johnson, Maddie Pinta matchup Ooh. in the circle. That is tantalizing. Wow. That is. That's tasty. It may uh, that could go six or seven without there being a run scored. Because maybe without a so, hit. <laughs> yeah. So I tell you what, Johnson's legit. Yeah. And I, I thought Alabama. The you look at how Alabama scored their two runs against Troy. They were doing some major manufacturing to try to get a run across because it was hard to. Hard to hard to find anything on her. And if Louisiana wasn't in the Sun Belt, I think Troy would be like far and away the uh, the the pick. 
Johnson is for real. And I want to make sure that is reinforced. And I think it is not bad hitting that Alabama only had two runs and, uh, and two hits or three hits against her. She, uh, she can do things. Not many mid-major pitchers can. Exactly. Oh yeah. As I said, Alabama faced this weekend, two pitchers in Pickett and Johnson that would be the number ones in several sec teams. Yeah. Big games Friday, Florida state at Florida. All right. I mean, I can't believe I even have to add more Missouri at Oklahoma, Hmm. Texas at LSU. I mean, if I wasn't working, I'd be sitting on the couch all day. That's yeah. That's such a good slate. We're going to have so many great scoreboard updates to give. And some rivalries there and some like old school rivalries. You know, you have the you, LSU Texas because of proximity, but then, you know, Missouri, a former big 12 school to, facing Oklahoma, who I'm sure they had many a tussle back in the day. It, it's got, that's an interesting matchup. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, Missouri is one of those teams, you know, if you want to have a slugfest, let's go. Yeah. I really, you know, I think we're going to see Larissa, throw the playbook out when it comes to how they're going to pitch that game. They've got 90 pitchers. They basically do the same kind of thing Oklahoma does just with less talented arms in the circle. Right. You know, you could almost say Missouri is like Oklahoma light this year, just Mm. in terms of style and how that team is made up. Yeah. 100%. So we'll see how they can do in a, you know, puncher's chance for sure. Absolutely. Saturday, South Carolina at North Carolina. So interesting test for the team you're out on versus the team we just saw. Come on, Brittany. You can do it. Western Kentucky's at Mississippi State twice. Western Kentucky hadn't played in a while, but that's a good Conference USA team. We've got a doubleheader with Texas and LSU. Florida goes to Florida State. And Tennessee, Texas A&M, as we already talked about. Very interesting matchups and ones that might not necessarily be like major marquee but at the same time i think they're going to tell you a little bit about some of these teams especially considering this is the last week of non-conference where we hit in the conference play final thing we have to get to before we steal second with caleb bro it's cfgcl corner mm. all right week one the fgcl player of the week was mckenzie ball from southern utah week two it was Haley lee from texas a&m and now tom the nominees for week mm. three, as I get ready for my Golden Globes presenter voice, <laughs> <laughs> Tom out on award shows. But here uh, we are. <laughs> yeah, like I said if if, we, if there's ever been a year that deserved to have no award shows, it was this year. But here we are. We're having them. Nomadland is really good, but <laughs> I digress. Here are the six nominees for FGCL Player of the Week. Number one, Abby Stewart out of Clemson this week. Four for eight, four RBI, two home runs, and a run scored. Nicely done by Abby Stewart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number two, Lizzie Schubert at Stetson. Four of 14 this week. Two RBI, a home run, three strikeouts, two runs scored. But she broke up a no-hitter in the bottom of the seventh against Kentucky. There you go. Nicely done. That's, uh, Mm -hmm. That's always something that'll make the blood boil for the opposition. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, somebody at Stetson needed to do the out-of-the-box special and uh, talk about the no-hitter in the third inning. We are available sometimes. Yeah. When you play at 8 a.m., we can actually call those games, perhaps. <laughs> Alabama doesn't start games that early. Not usually, no. <laughs> Number three, Brooklyn Lacera out of NC State. Got her first college start against Gardner-Webb as a freshman. Five innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts. 
Just wanted to highlight somebody in their debut in the circle who did really, really well. Good job. Good job. Also good to see Gardner Webb back playing softball. Haley mm-hmm. Lee from Texas A&M, last week's winner. Four for 13 this week, three RBI, a home run, a double, a walk, strikeout, two runs scored. There's three RBI, came on a three-run homer in game three where she hit that in the bottom of the sixth against Tulsa to win 3 nothing. So, wow, you know, big-time moment there. Mm-hmm. Jensen Howell at Northwestern State, a lot here, two-way player. Four for 14, eight RBI, two home runs, two doubles. A walk, four strikeouts, two runs scored. And in the circle, 13 and a third innings pitched, nine hits, nine runs, seven earned, six walks, 16 strikeouts. Jensen Howell, Northwestern State. Goodness. All right. And finally, Shanny Flame, my girl Shannon Sale from Oklahoma. 10 and a third innings pitched, which considering how Oklahoma is managing their staff this year, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. One hit. No runs, one walk, 18 strikeouts, and she got the save with the game at 5-3 in Tempe in the seventh against Arizona State. I think it's a really good docket. I like that we've got some situations where these players came up big in their games. Uh, Who are the two that stick out to you, Tom, and then we'll maybe pick a winner? Or if you've got a clear winner, what do you think? I don't have have a clear winner, but I would say – my my two would either be Shannon Sale or Jensen Howell. And I think considering Howell did really good at the plate, a couple too many runs, I think, given up, though, in the circle. So I will go considering the uh, the position, the, the level of play, the marquee level of the game, I'll go Shannon Sale as my pick. I'm there. I'm there with you. This is, this is easy every week. Shannon Sale <laughs> is my pick, and I think you're right on the money. It's because of the situation. It was 5-1 Oklahoma. Arizona State scores two. They've got chances against G. Juarez in the seventh. And Patty Gasso brings in Shannon Sale to shut it down against an Arizona State team playing at home with a ton of power, one through nine. I was super impressed reading that. Shannon Sale and I have have been talking a good bit. She's really excited about her team this year. Oklahoma's already dangerous. We knew that. I think Shannon Sale, with the way that she's being used this year, is going to be really tough. And uh, she showed that. She's my week three FGCL player of the week. There you go. Good call. And I'm glad we got a, we got some pitching representation here in week three. First yeah, time. We had to mix it around. Week four, yeah. you know, be up in the air. We're doing this every week, folks. If you hear your name and you're disappointed you didn't win, guess what? Maybe you'll have a chance next week. Yeah, it's a long season. It's a long That's season. Right. It's time to steal second, Tom. Do you, do you see... Do you see over there? I yes. can't because I'm in Bryant-Denny, but you're at Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who I think we should be? The person who, who got three infield hits and a stolen base this weekend, Claire Jenkins. That's right. Claire Jenkins, yes. green light girl. Here we go. <laughs> Brace and all. Let's hit it. It's time to steal a second here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, our bestie Caleb Bro is here. And Speaking of green light girls. Yeah, exactly. I mean, doesn't get much better than bro. And we're going to cover a lot, including a new segment where I, I might embarrass myself. We'll see. You can let me know on Twitter. But that's coming up on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the and the it's played. 
before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. second with a person very familiar with that phrase the last time that we did an on the road show it was in Clearwater. it was in a boardroom or poker room of some kind it was late at night at the palatial resort in clearwater florida and it was with caleb Rowe, espn analyst seven innings podcast co-host former Alabama softball player, obviously, an All-American, obviously, one of the best at swiping bags in Crimson Tide history. Kayla, hello. We are not quite as uh, close and in person as we were the last time you came on the show, but it's good to see you again. Oh my gosh, it's softball season. It just doesn't get any better than this. I'm stoked. I love being able to get a little taste of some podcast action now that we're back. See you guys, even if it's over Zoom, and I know nobody else will get to see you, but I'm still excited to be here, so ready to talk some shop. If it was weird. Last time we were talking, we were in that, that room, like we said, and we weren't wearing masks or anything. It was, it was Everything was normal. Yeah, oh, how the times have changed. We were yeah. all huddled around one microphone. How unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you mentioned podcasting. Let's talk about your other podcast. I listen to Seven Innings because I'm always trying to see what everybody thinks. And you said something that nobody else really touched on, but I think is correct. You said that you feel like the top four have really separated themselves. UCLA, Oklahoma, Arizona, Alabama. I agree. I think Tom agrees. I know we just saw UCLA lose to Oregon, but no Rachel Garcia. So I, I still kind of put an asterisk there. What is it about those four that has really pushed them ahead of everybody else? Yeah, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head right there because Rachel Garcia brings a different element to UCLA's team. You give all the credit to Oregon. They played hard. And even in game two today or Monday, whatever day it is, uh, game two on Monday, she did a much better – Oregon held, hung with them. I thought UCLA did a much better job of being a little bit more urgent on offense, but – they played a really good series, a really strong series, showed that they have some really good young talent. That being said, UCLA is a different team with Rachel Garcia. Mm -hmm. She is going to cause them to pitch differently to their lineup. She's going to have like, okay, we got to protect this person because Rachel Garcia potentially is going to be in the lineup, or we got to pitch around this person. We got to pitch around Garcia, but that leads you to X player. And that changes the dynamic. And she brings such a fierce competitive attitude. So they're a different team when she plays without a doubt. Um, I think that they're going to be as good down the road. I think they're going to learn from this little bump in the road and say, Hey, you know what? Can't overlook anybody. So it might be a good learning experience for them. Uh, OU is just absolutely crushing people. It's like not even fair right now, how dominant they've been. And I think that they had a challenge in ASU. And I think ASU is a middle tier PAC 12 team behind Arizona, UCLA, Oregon right now, but they're definitely up there in terms of a quality top 25 team. And OU hung with them for a little bit. And then they just were like, you know what? This is our game. We're going to take over. We're going to use our home run power. And we're going to separate ourselves from you. And they did that towards the end of the game. And I, 
I can't even like express the stats that they're putting up. I mean, they have 44 home runs already. They're hitting almost 500 as a team. Like, how is that possible to be almost hitting 500 as a team, you know, this far into the season? And we're not very far at all, but still, it's just un- it's unreal. They're loaded with talent. And it's funny because I look at their roster, they're already loaded. They add T.R.A. Jennings, who's one of the best freshmen, if not the best freshman in the country so far. So they only add talent there. And then they go steal South Carolina's best player, Indiana Johns, to even load up further. So it, it, they're a wealth of talent and skill. And I think if anybody's going to challenge them in the Big 12 right now, it looks like it's going to be potentially Oklahoma State or Texas. I, I question Texas's pitching a little bit. But uh, Arizona looks strong. I think offensively they're really good too. Jesse Harper isn't even playing her best right now, and they're still crushing the softball. Deja Molipola is nice to have her back in the catcher position, back from having a uh, potential Olympic year off. And then they have a freshman, Carly Scoopin, who leads the team in home runs right now. So super great. And then obviously Alabama is that fourth team for me that's kind of distanced themselves a little bit. And you guys have watched them play. I mean, every single game, their pitching looks really, really good. That's where Alabama, I kind of see more strength. I think Lexi Kilfoyle and and I love Montana Fouts and I think she's talented. She's shown me more than Montana Fouts this far in the season. I think she's just got dirty movement and she's going to be stronger this year. She's a sophomore. She's uh, more experienced. Even just having a few games under her belt last year is going to make her a much more confident pitcher moving forward. One team that was in the preseason was in that list of people of the projections on top teams in the nation saying out West was Washington who has had some, they've been pretty shaky here the first few weeks. And uh, when you bring that up with other people and people that are connected with Washington say, well, it kind of happens like this every year and then they come around. Uh, But do you, do you see some, some cracks there in for the Huskies? Yeah, and it's definitely in the circle. I think if you put Gabby Plain out there, who's an All-American, yeah, you're good to go. You're going to be able to beat a lot of teams. But after that, it falls off a lot for them. And they lost to San Diego State again this weekend. And San Diego State's pitcher, Maggie Ballant, who got the win in that victory, she was a former pitcher from Oregon under Mike White. So she was a really good picture to go along with Miranda Ellish when she was there. And then um, uh, – Kleist. Kleist, thank you, Megan Kleist, who doesn't play anymore. Um, so she she's a good pitcher, and they were challenged, and she did a really nice job of beating them. But past Gabby Plain, I mean, Washington has good defense. Washington has good offense, but they don't have any pitchers, and you're going to have to win series. And when you're playing four games in the Pac-12 this year every weekend instead of the three-game series playing four, that's going to be a long year for them if they can't find somebody in the circle behind Plain to pick up some work and pick up some innings to, to get a few victories here and there. And maybe getting longer with another Pac-12 contender kind of emerging. I know we, we touched a little bit on Oregon, but I don't know about you, Kayla. I watched that game. I was sold. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yanez is legit. All right, this is an offense that can hit for Ramo. Okay, they can hit anybody. Am I overreacting, or is this an Oregon team that maybe is ready to make a World Series run? You know, I think that they're young and they have a chip on them sh- their shoulder. I think that after the Mike White transition to Melissa Lombardi, I think everybody kind of wrote them off and said, you know what, this isn't going to be a good team. They lost all their players. 
But Melissa Lombardi has done a great job of recruiting so far. You'll get Alyssa Brito, who's a freshman that's leading their team offensively. I mean, she's a stud. So when you can load up and get transfers in like Rookianas and get the staff to support your team, I think that bodes well for the future. She can prove that she can recruit and put some talent in at Oregon. They do a great, I mean, I live in Eugene. They do a fantastic job of supporting the softball program here. They're going to get fans in the stadium. It's an easy program to get fired up. They have a brand new stadium. That's beautiful. So they're going to be able to be successful if she can get the recruits in and she's proving so far that she can. And like I said, they're a young team with a chip on their shoulder where people don't think much of them and they're out to prove people wrong. And I think they showed that even in the Monday game against UCLA, you know, it was kind of back and forth for the first couple innings. And I thought UCLA came out and scored first. I was like, oh, it's over. UCLA is going to run rule It's going to be, yeah. but they kept fighting and that shows a good resilient team that's going to grow. And they're only going to be better for losses like that down the road. So we continue to uh, talk about some of the top teams in the nation, going back to Oklahoma for just a minute. Yes. They, they've been scoring a billion runs. They've been just crushing people that way. Uh, but in the, in the circle, we haven't seen a pitcher go complete game yet. We have seen, you know, teams like Houston and a couple others score some runs and, and until Oklahoma hits the five home runs and, and pulls away from them late, uh, they've been able to stick with them. Do you see any issues with what's going on in the circle for Oklahoma or is, is what they're doing going to work? Yeah, you know, I think that'll time will tell. And the reason I say that, I was looking at their schedule today and they really, they play Missouri this weekend and that's really their last truly, I think, tough opponent until April 9th, where they play Baylor. Then they play Texas, and then they have a couple weekends, um, and then they play Oklahoma State. So they have a very end-heavy schedule, so they might not get challenged for a while. I mean, they play the Mexican national team, so they might see some good pitching there, might see some really good hitting there. But from a perspective of true test, they won't get that for a while. So it'll be interesting to see down the road, you know, it, I hate to say it, but it's an interesting thing. I always wanted to play a tougher schedule when I was at Alabama, just because you, you learn more sometimes when you're challenged than if you're just smoking people. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do. And maybe if how the pitching staff does when their team doesn't put up 33 runs. <laughs> yeah, Right. Well, I mean, just from what we've kept up with Oklahoma and it's been kind of hard, honestly, to watch some of their games because either they're playing, you know, on ESPN plus at a time Alabama's playing or, you know, it, sometimes it's hard to catch up with the Sooners, but it doesn't seem like G. Juarez is as sharp as she was in 2019. And obviously coming off of the injury and the surgery and a really long layoff. But I'm wondering at what point Patty Gasso will say, you know what, this is our ace and we're going to ride her. And if maybe she's not ready for that moment when it comes around, whether it's in the NCAA tournament or maybe in a big game against Texas in the regular season. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I was actually talking about Madison Shipman and I text constantly during all the games, and uh, we were talking about this with Tennessee and Ashley Rogers, and it's, you know, you have this stud ace, and that's G. Juarez for Oklahoma, and how do you balance uh, saving them enough for the postseason and making sure they're healthy and making sure they're in a good position to be successful down the road, or when do you say, hey, we got to get some wins, or this is our true pitcher, and we're going to have to ride her a little bit harder than we want to in the regular season, and uh, I think that Oklahoma's in a position offensively where they can probably risk taking some innings away from G. Juarez to ensure that she stays healthy throughout the season. But uh, it's an interesting thing, and I don't envy 
um, some pitching coaches that have to make that decision. And I think UCLA is going to run into that too with Megan Faramo if Rachel Garcia is, continues to be out um, for the foreseeable future because uh, they're, they have two aces. And when one of them's gone, then you realize like, okay, we got to claw and scrape our way in the circle beyond that. So I think that's always a good test for teams down the road and a balance that they're going to have to learn. Talking with Caleb Rowe and uh, obviously a former Alabama great. What have you seen that has really impressed you so far from your alma mater? Hey, I, I like what I've seen. Alabama looks like a complete team. And that's what's been most fun to watch about them this season. I, when I watch, and there's been some Alabama teams since I've graduated and some Alabama teams that I was on, don't get me wrong, that there's been some situations where I've doubted certain aspects of the team or aspects of the game. I'm like, oh man, we're a little bit loose here. We're not as tight here. We're not as clutch in two out situations or whatever it may be. And this Alabama team doesn't, I don't worry when I watch them. That's a, it's a good yeah. gate for me. Like I, I don't stress when I get, I'm like, Oh, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I just wish they could do this better. And I, I don't have that right now. Um, and that's a testament to how complete they are. I think that one through nine, especially if they can get KB sides and Jenna Johnson healthy again, I, I think they're really a dynamic offense with a lot of weapons and a lot of skills. I think Kaylee Tao looks healthy, which is fantastic. She looks like her freshman year self. I think she looks really mm -hmm. strong, really confident. Uh, I think Alyssa Brown has had a really good start to her season. If she can keep going and plugging away, that speed's going to be a, a really big threat. And I like her in the nine spot. I think that if you can get KB back in the one spot, health, health impending. Um, I, I like Alyssa in the nine. I, I think she's a good person just to turn over the lineup and she's going to see better pitches in the nine hole than she would maybe in the one or two spot. So I hope he, Coach Murphy, can figure out a way to work her and stay here, get enough people healthy so she can stay there. And then again, in the circle, I mean, Lexi Kilfoyle and Montana Faust are really, really challenging to pitch again or to hit against, excuse me, because they're both very different. Mm. I think they offer really good, different looks, different spins. And you add Sarah Cornell to that. I think they all bring something different to the table, which makes them really tough to plan for and tough to prepare for. So when I see Alabama, they just feel complete to me. And that's a really good sign. Kayla Bro joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast, dealing second with Kayla. And uh, this is going to sound weird coming from me and Tom, but should we be a little concerned about Florida? Because uh, for another year, we're seeing close games against weak competition. This is a second straight weekend where they've needed to walk off, you know, mid-major teams, Jacksonville, Georgia Southern, McNeese. Those are all three games that Florida should handily win, and they barely scraped by. So – cause for concern perhaps for the offense as a whole you know this is funny because somebody uh, I did an interview last week with like the SEC Sirius radio and they asked me the same thing they're like we don't really know what to think out of Florida you know we see their record we see some of the scores like and I said you know what I kind of always or not always but sometimes have this thought with Florida at the beginning of the season and then always for the last 12 years it's either them or Alabama finishing in the SEC number one or number two and fighting for that SEC championship so mm -hmm. as much as I sometimes maybe doubt Florida's ability Tim Walton always gets his teams in championship or winning form I think that they do a good job they take a business approach to everything they're not a necessarily like a high momentum team a high like we're gonna ride we're gonna go on these crazy streaks they just get down to business and they do their jobs and that's kind of what that program's been built on for a long time 
So when I look at a team like Florida, do I see some questions in the circle? Yes. Cause Kelly Barnhill's gone and who becomes the true ace, but then it's also like, well, they've really done a good job keeping their ERAs down and they haven't really given up too many runs. Their offense is not as good, but like Charlotte Eccles is crushing it. I think Hannah Adams is a stud. Like there's just some pieces of that lineup that are excellent still, despite maybe not putting up the best numbers and they're still winning. And that's what it comes down to a lot of the time is, are we a team that knows how to win? And Florida has always traditionally been a team that knows how to win. We, Gray and I were both all in on Florida being mediocre last year and they were, you know, off to a great start. So, uh, yeah, I, I, the next time that I'm wrong about Florida is be when they're not good. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, one team that you mentioned earlier, Kayla, that uh, has been impressive early on has been Oklahoma State, uh, including going to Baton Rouge and winning two against LSU this weekend. Uh, what have you seen from the Cowgirls so far? Yeah. Well, it's funny because we talked about Florida being all business. Like the Cowgirls, I see is completely like the opposite. They're a, yeah. they love the momentum. They love the big stage. They love the spotlight. Kenny Gajewski gets his team in some kind of mental state that they're always the underdog and they're always out there to prove themselves. And even if they're as good as they are, cause I think they're a solid team. They pick up some huge transfers from Georgia to kind of complete their, their roster after they graduated some people after a world series run, I think in 2019. And, uh, I think that they're just a fun team to watch. I think that they carry that energy on the field and they went into LSU, which LSU is an extremely tough place to play, as you guys know. And I, I know that there's not fans as, or as many fans right now, but it's still a tough environment. It's a tough home run park. It, it's just like, there's no places where the ball falls as made clear by Aaliyah Andrews. And they still figure out a way to scratch across some, some wins. And I, <laughs> I thought, honestly, I, you know, there's a couple of plays made by Doggett in left field that were like game savers and they don't look beautiful, but she does them. And it's like, wow, we're here. And we just upset LSU twice. No big deal. Now, granted they lost <laughs> Louisiana, but it's like that, like crazy math problem that you're trying to solve in your head. Okay. Well, if LSU yeah. beats Louisiana, but either way, I thought Oklahoma state is just a solid team that is fun to watch. Yeah. The, um, the, the transitive, I was going to say the transitive property does not work in softball. We've, we've discovered that for sure. I was going to say of the three LSU, Louisiana, Oklahoma state, did the cowgirls seem like the one that looked most quote unquote legit yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, you watch those games. LSU, even after they played Alabama, I kind of just saw them and they look like they're on the right path. They're a super athletic team. They have all the pieces, but they haven't clicked those pieces together yet. And so you kind of felt like LSU, as talented as they are, weren't playing their best games this weekend. And it felt like that with Oklahoma State. It felt that like they clicked a little bit more, that things were falling into peace. And when they got their opportunities, they took advantage where LSU kind of felt like they didn't. Which is kind of weird for LSU because usually they're gangbusters at the beginning of the year and it's toward the end where they fall off. Maybe they've just reversed it this year. We'll yeah, find out. That'd, that'd be better for them, honestly. <laughs> right. I, yeah, it would. Yeah, 100%. Sounds like we need to change our SEC picks, Tom. <laughs> we have a new conference champion coming up. <laughs> Uh, well, we've got a little fun that we're going to end the, uh, the interview with, but before we get to that, we do have to talk about something serious and that was the Virginia tech pause because of COVID. It's really the first big time contender program that's had to shut things down for a little bit. They canceled everything from this past weekend. Everything I believe is either canceled or postponed this upcoming weekend. I'm not sure what the ACC games against Boston college 
that are scheduled will look like. But, you know, obviously this is serious and, and health and safety is most important. But at the same time, I kind of thought about it in a gamesmanship kind of way because we saw in basketball Baylor go on a shutdown, come out of it and lose. And their head coach, Scott Drew, said that that shutdown was like kryptonite. So how as a team do you try not to have the shutdown really stop all momentum that you had after such a strong starter, maybe a strong weekend right before things close up. Yeah. that's so interesting. And even when I think about back when I played, there was weekends where we had like off weekends, which was like once a year. And it was very like, it was, you know, you had three days off basically. Uh, and I think about those and even those were sometimes challenging to overcome because it felt like, okay, what do I do? Like, I don't have a game to play. I feel kind of lost but I think it's an opportunity for Virginia Tech in a couple ways. I think it can be rejuvenating sometimes, especially for hitters that are struggling. I'm thinking about it from a hitter's perspective first, but when I sometimes felt too taxed from a, a hitting standpoint, when I was struggling or I, my swing felt weird, having a break sometimes is a really beautiful thing. You can kind of go back, tinker a little bit, play with it, go back to some basics, hit in the cages, kind of feel out some things to help you get back to maybe normal. You can also kind of give your body a little bit more of a rest because playing games is different than practice. It's a little bit more taxing. Your body's going to feel different. So having ways to take advantages of those pauses to directly benefit you, especially if you're struggling are going to be huge. I think if you can find ways to scrimmage as a team and, or they, they probably are like completely off. I'm sure they can't even do anything. Um, so that's a challenge. It's like, how do you kind of keep yourself focused? And it's going to be interesting to see how they come out of it. And it could be a, a good thing. Cause again, I think about going home for Christmas break and Murph sometimes told us like, Hey, don't pick up a bat more than like a couple times. Like give your body a break. You just had a really tough fall. You conditioned and worked out every day. Like sometimes it's good to give your body a break. So maybe Early in the season, it might not be as big of a factor, but if some of these teams happen to have that in the middle of an SEC, you know, how can you rest up and make sure that you're healthy and prepared physically and mentally to move on? But this is uncharted waters. I wish I had a better answer. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I would do. But (laughs) I honestly have no idea. And I feel for these players because, again, this year has been mentally taxing for like every human on this planet. But then you go to the next level and you say, okay, here's this like little fish I'm going to dangle in front of you and I'm going to take it away and I'm going to take it. It's just, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to take it away. Nope. So you're just kind of on edge all the time. That, that was one of the, the worst things about how the, there was so much bad weather the first couple of weeks is like, my goodness, it's been 11 months and now we can't play not because of COVID because it's raining or it's, or it's freezing cold and sleeting and snowing. And it's like, ah, just want to play. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, sitting on my couch and like, as I saw all these cancellations come in, I'm like, great. My first weekend where I had plans in a year. Right. Canceled. <laughs> uh, Caleb bro joining us here on the out of the box podcast. All right, let's end with some fun. Uh, I'm just saying it now. You're going to be back on the show this season, at least a couple more times. And every yeah. time we have you on, we're going to play a little game. This is the first ever edition of what's good, bro. Which, uh, yes, I um, I was surfing while I said that. Uh, yeah, you th- totally sound like a West Coaster there. Did uh, I? All right, Jen Schroeder will have to confirm that. <laughs> I don't know if she will. <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the part of the show where you get to name a team, a player from last week that you thought was really, really good, and a game 
coming up this week or weekend that's really got your eye. So what's good, bro? All right. So my what's good, I'm going to go team from last weekend. I thought Tennessee looked solid last weekend. I'm going to stay in the SEC. You know, we got to give some love to the SEC teams. Uh, Tennessee, after week one, after losing to Miami of Ohio, it was kind of like, oh, are they going to be that that good? And they came back this weekend, had a really solid offensive performance, only gave up one run the entire weekend. So Tennessee looked like they were a little bit more on pace to where they want to be. And Ashley Rogers, as you guys know, dominated this weekend. SEC Pitcher of the Week, no doubt, because she was on fire and striking out everybody left and right. Um, my player that I was looking for, you know, LSU didn't have that many bright spots. It's a huge deal that they beat Louisiana twice, but a giant bright spot was out in center field. Aaliyah Andrews, I got to shout out my Audis because Aaliyah Andrews is easily the best outfielder in the country right now. And the plays that she made over and over again, where she lays out her body are just incredible. And as an outfielder, and you guys can watch a ton of softball games, but typically what you see is gravity work faster on players that dive. So what I mean by that is they're going to go with their knees and their legs down first and not their chest. And Aaliyah Andrews surrenders to gravity and she's like, nope, I'm going to fight against it. Or she doesn't surrender to gravity. She fights against it and she literally lays her entire body out in a complete like parallel to the ground form and doesn't drag any part of her body on the ground and that's why she has such a great range and that's why she can go back and make that play over her back shoulder on her uh, right side when she was going back into the left center gap it's unbelievable so she's just so talented and she hit like 571 on the weekend too so you know back it up with some good offensive no big deal so Lita Andrews just web gem after web gem put her on sports center every single week just hold a spot for her <laughs> um, and game I'm looking forward to we'll just stay with LSU I think LSU Texas this weekend is going to be a great matchup uh, Michelle and Beth are calling those games this weekend so it's going to be good it's going to be on TV uh, and Texas had some struggles against Mississippi State and Ole Miss this weekend they didn't look great their pitching gave up a lot of runs and so for LSU I think this is a good opportunity to go face another tough opponent and LSU's played like the toughest schedule by far out of anybody I feel like in the country this year but LSU has another opportunity to rebound a little bit after losing to some big 12 schools this weekend has an opportunity to look like a little bit more of a complete team have a tough challenge because Texas offense is really good but their pitching has stumbled a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how LSU can take advantage. If Mississippi state can go score, I think they scored seven or eight runs against Texas. LSU should be able to, to put up some offensive numbers as well. I like that. Um, you know, obviously a lot of intrigue with that LSU Texas series. And I think you're right on the money, Molly Jacobson, the way Texas is using her is not exactly how I expected that to go. And I'm not, sold yet on Shay O'Leary as an ace that can lead a team to the Women's College World Series, but Texas can change some minds by going into Tiger Park and winning two or three games. Absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right. I think that it's kind of a question mark because without Miranda Ellish, I think it puts a lot of pressure on Shay O'Leary and she's going to have the entire team on her back to be that true ace because you're right, they've been putting Molly Jacobson more as a clo closer reliever she's a lefty has a little bit different look really filthy change up all that good stuff but uh, she hasn't she got her first start at Texas against Ole Miss her old team and that made sense to me and that that's a calculated <laughs> decision by Mike White to say okay I'm going to start you in your first game it's going to be against 
your former team. So that made sense to me. Um, but Ole Miss, I mean, they knew her and they touched her up a little bit and Texas got the win, but uh, not without a little bump in the road. Anything to add, Tom, before I wrap it up? Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything. Else. No, I, I think we're good. That was awesome. Okay, then I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up. <laughs> well, totally agree. Should be fun. Uh, we will also have some good games on in Tuscaloosa, radio, video. We hope you'll tune in, Caleb Bro. Um, should be a lot of fun, and, and we're really glad that we got to catch up with you here on the Stealing Second portion of the Out of the Box podcast. Caleb Bro, you're the best. You're what's good, and we're glad to have you back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Loved it. All right, that was Caleb Bro. Now, Tom, it's time to get into a little buy or sell. And no, this isn't a TLC show or some kind of home makeover. No, this is softball buy or sell. Yes. Are we buying right. these teams as contenders? We'll talk about that, Tom. You were much better at this last year than I was. <laughs> but <laughs> then it didn't matter. <laughs> but then, that's, all right. Yeah, so yeah, it, the final grade inconclusive. Another win for Gray because none of the results mattered. (laughs) Right. We hope they will this year. We're going to play by ourselves when we come back as we get ready to round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back. It's in the gap. We were in scoring position. Now we're rounding third, Tom. Patrick Murphy giving us the go, not giving a rip. Doesn't give a rip. Mm, I love it. We're going to play buy or sell. I've got 10 teams, not the top 10, Alabama not included. We talked a lot about them, and I think I know where we both stand. (laughs) Right. But these are 10 teams that could legitimately be national title contenders. And we're going to say whether we buy or sell that notion. Some of them will be obvious. This will give us a chance to talk out our feelings about some teams. But again, buy or sell, World Series national title contender. Here okay. we go. Yeah. We open with UCLA. <laughs> I guess I'll buy. Yeah, I guess. I'll go with the uh, maybe the greatest overall team of all time. Yeah, I'll go ahead and pick them up. I'm pushing the chips in. I will say, I know Rachel Garcia is out. As I said to Caleb Rowe, there's an asterisk there. But some of the offensive issues, they were a little concerning against Utah, against Oregon. They did win the Utah game 6-5. But, you know, I mean, how do you not buy the team that yeah. <laughs> it was number they, one pretty unanimously all year already? They've looked mere mortal here, here this, uh, this weekend. But still, yeah, it, it's going to be hard for them to not win the conference and, and be one of the top teams coming into Oklahoma City. There's going to be after a lot, lot more than just an injury to Rachel Garcia. It's going to have to happen. It will be, I would say it would be pretty impossible for UCLA not to make the women's college world series. I would be yeah. absolutely shocked. It would be the biggest upset maybe ever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Unless we talk about this other team, Oklahoma <laughs> by right. cell. Which will be interesting to see how the, the polls come out. If Oklahoma will jump at UCLA with the loss to Oregon. Yeah, I'm buying Oklahoma too, by the way. Yeah, me too. I'm in. Yeah. It's not hard. You know, yeah. as I as I watched the UCLA-Oregon game on Sunday night, I thought, you know, we were all so busy asking if UCLA could have the best team of all time. I think we all forgot to ask that maybe Oklahoma could be in the mix for that as well because they're blowing everybody out. And it's not just because they're playing a weak schedule. And yes, 
they have played a lighter schedule than most of the contenders, but it's also because they just have a, a crap ton of talent everywhere. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even when their lineup has COVID issues, they still do great. Just because they're not a couple of Olympians, that's pretty much the only difference. I think both UCLA and Oklahoma have a weakness somewhat, if you want to classify it as a weakness, where you can maybe, again, they're mortal, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to beat them if they're playing at their best. Either way. I mean, with Oklahoma, and again, I'm buying, by the way, it's hard. I don't even want to call it a weakness. I just have questions about this whole pitching right. thing and if it can work in the postseason, you know, yeah. when when G. Juarez maybe hasn't thrown a complete game and then all of a sudden you're saying, hey, it's, you know, an elimination game in the World Series, go pitch eight innings perhaps if, mm-hmm. you know, we're just throwing out the Alabama example maybe. Is she ready for that? I don't know. That's – yeah. But again, that's not a weakness because we know G. Juarez is good. <laughs> right. I mean, that's I, it's just to the point of you've got to try to win a slugfest if you're playing Oklahoma. UCLA, I'm still not 100% sure what you do. You just have, you have to have a pitcher that is absolutely yeah. 100% just fire and you, you can win a close one. I think against Megan Faramo, you got to hope you score three runs and then hang on. And that's, that's – yeah. That's kind of it. Maybe same Mm -hmm. thing with Oklahoma. Yep. All right. Next team up, Arizona. Buy or sell. This is another member of the big four that we talked about with Caleb Rowe. How do you feel, Tom? Yeah, I'm I'm buying. If you're in the big four, I'm buying you. So just just so you know. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm in with Arizona as well. Uh, It's it's odd, but in a way, they're going to be a little bit under the radar all year because of the UCLA factor. And I think that could go and work in their favor. Uh, They've been just as dominant as UCLA has been this, this so far this season, maybe you can make the argument more so, uh, but people are still going to be talking about UCLA. So if, if you, if you can somehow be under the radar at Arizona, they are. I am less confident about Arizona than I am the other teams in the big four, just because Mariah Lopez and Alyssa Denham, I just don't think are as good a one-two punch as all the other teams have. And in, in mm-hmm. the circle, but I'm obviously buying. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100. Everyone in that lineup can hit home runs. Oh, and they add Scoopin, who Kayla talked about, who hit like five home <laughs> runs last weekend alone. Gosh, as if they Not need fair. more power in Tucson. Not fair. All right, so we're buying UCLA, Oklahoma, Arizona. This yeah. is as a national champion contender, World Series contender. This is where it gets interesting. Florida. Do you want me to go first or do you want to take it? Well, I'll just say, like I said with Kayla, that the next time I'm wrong about Florida is when they don't win. So I'm going to buy them just for, you know, the historical presidents that even if they're going to struggle a little bit early on and by struggling, they're still winning that they're going to figure it out and be there at the end. So I'm going to buy them uh, and I can probably get them at a little lower price than I normally could. I will buy as well. I thought I would be the different one here, but I'm buying Florida. (laughs) I still have questions about the pitching staff. I trust the offense, especially the top half, but you got to pick a shortstop, Timmy. You got to pick somebody. Longley, Gels, Reese, I don't care. Just pick somebody. Quit playing musical chairs with the lineup. And, you know, unlike what Alabama is doing, this seems to really be upsetting any kind of rhythm Florida has because we're seeing in-game changes. Reese will mm. play half a game. 
then Longley will come in or Gales will pinch hit. And it just, it seems so out of whack. You, you got to pick somebody by conference play. That's, that's kind of my one stipulation. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, it does seem to be a different situation than Alabama when we've talked about the revolving door at second, but it is people that are would be playing somewhere else if they weren't playing second base for Alabama, whereas it's just who, who can we find at Florida that can be the starter? Yeah, Florida opens conference play with Kentucky, just saying. Mm. You're going to need to score to keep up with them, so yep. I, I suggest you have that shored up, but I am buying the Gators. <laughs> All right, okay. Washington, how do you feel about the Huskies, Tom? Sell, sell, sell. Wow. Sell. It's never, The Property Brothers would be all <laughs> over you right now. <laughs> uh, they're struggling against teams they shouldn't be struggling against. They have not been able to have anybody pitch with any consistency behind Gabby Plain. And the offense, which should be doing much better than it is, uh, they'll have big games, but other times they will struggle as well against, you know, pitchers from Dixie State and Southern Utah should not be keeping Cis Bates from hitting well. Yeah, yeah they are. So, so this, is, this is one of the few teams where I'm very much split. Uh, I will buy Washington as a World Series contender. I will sell them a thousand percent as a natty contender. I think Gabby Plain can take him to Oklahoma City. For sure. I, I think that Washington is a tough place to play. So if they host the first two rounds, I see yeah. them sailing through. If they I, have to go I, somewhere. It's hard it for me to see be them being a top eight seed. Well, I, we'll see. I mean, because they're going to have chances with UCLA yeah. and Arizona. And, and we've seen in the past, even if they don't win a lot of those games, the RPI still helps them out. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that plays out because we'll do this a different version of this later on in the year. But that being said, I think playing can take them to Oklahoma city. I'm out on them as a, as a national championship contender, because you've got to have a second arm that you can rely on in the women's college yeah. world series. And Washington just does not have that Heather tar. Keep following me on Twitter. I'm enjoying it. I'm out 100% on Washington right now to win a title. And it'll take a lot for me to get back on that train. Yeah. And yeah, I'm kind of, I'm with you on that, that I could see them making the world series uh, but I don't. I don't think they're a national championship contender at this point, unless things change. Oklahoma State. But I'll let you go first on this one. I'm buying. I'm in. Really, Kenny okay. Gajewski. This offense, they've got pop, but it is the two pitchers. It's Kerry Eberle. It's Kelly Maxwell. Those two. They're going. They're going to take them. That, that that's a one-two punch that rivals the Fouts Kilfoyle, Juarez Sale. Garcia Faramo, they can hang with that group. I'm all in on Oklahoma State. I think that I think that they can make the World Series, and I think they can make a legit push more so than they did in 2019 to win a national title. Wow, I'm not going to go that far in. Is is there like a can I put teams on layaway? I would like to put sure. Oklahoma State on layaway until I see what they do when they play Oklahoma. And I don't necessarily think that they, they don't have to win the series against Oklahoma. I just need to see what they do when they play them, how those games go. You know, if Oklahoma sweeps them, that's different. But if they're all close games, if they're able to keep the Oklahoma offense in check somewhat, uh, I, will, I will then at that point maybe buy them. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm still holding off my final decision. Okay, okay. Oregon, did they, did they convince you with the UCLA win? 
The problem is I just don't know how they're going to break up, break out from the rest of the big 10 and the pac 12, you know, like I, I don't know how you get enough wins in the pac 12 to make yourself a, a top eight seed to eat, to make the run to Oklahoma city. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to sell them uh, somewhat begrudgingly. I'm buying as I think back to what I said to bro. You can't I think buy I was, all 10 teams. I know. Oh, that's true. There's well, only eight that can make it. I'm buying, I'm buying Oregon as a contender. Okay. All right. Um, I guess that's a hint for the next three. Maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm buying Oregon. I think Melissa Lombardi, if not this year, next year, maybe, maybe I'll buy real stock in 2022 Oregon softball. Yeah. You're buying futures for yes. That, there right. you go. There it is. See, I'm I'm I still don't understand what actually <laughs> we're playing, but here we go. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but it's fun. Three more teams we're going to talk about as we buy or sell, I guess. Here on the rounding third <laughs> portion of the show, Virginia Tech, Tom. They yeah. uh, they're not playing right now, and you're selling. Yeah, selling. I could see them winning the ACC, but I don't see them making Oklahoma City. I just I, I'll. I will need to see them in more pressure situations, uh, high stakes, which that program as a whole has hardly ever been in. Uh, so uh, it's one of those I'll have to see it before I would buy them. Yeah, I'm selling too. If you ask me to pick between, you know, who could lead their team to the World Series, Gabby Plain or Keely Richard, I'm taking Gabby Plain all day, every yeah. day. Keely Richard's right. a great pitcher. I'm not sure I trust her to just carry a team to the world series. Right. I'm just, I'm just not there with them yet. Yeah. And let's see how they come out of the, uh, the pause. Um, if it, you know, does this kind of derail them or does it, you know, bring them closer together? All right. How about their ACC counterparts, Florida state, Tom, buy or sell. I'm also going to sell them. You know, we watched them play. Uh, the only time I've really watched them just, you know, full on was, the two games against Missouri and uh, Missouri looked like they had them in the first game and, and then did have them in the second game. And that is a, you know, upper middle of the pack team in the sec one that can beat anybody. But at the same time, if you're, if you're Florida state and you're home and you're able, and you're looking towards trying to be a world series contender, probably shouldn't be losing to Missouri. I am selling as well. And I think it's just because I don't think their pitching staff is very good. Yeah. Danielle Watson, sure. Kaylin Arnold. I mean, we kind of know what's there. And I just, I don't know. I, I think was expecting that, Arnold to be more when she went from Tennessee to Florida State. I'll, I'll say that much. I think that they are a weak staff being elevated by a great coaching staff to good level. Good level pitchers, though, get exposed in the NCAA tournament. So I think we'll see Florida State be a host team that at best gets pushed to an extra game in regionals and at worst maybe gets upset by somebody. Okay. I could definitely see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm out on Florida state. Love you, Devin Flaherty, but the rest of the team I'm, I'm out on you. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Finally, LSU buy or sell Tom. We've seen them in person. The only team on this list that we have got to see with our own eyes. How do you feel? I'm going to tell you, they're probably one I could get at a low price right now, and I might buy them just because I think they're going to improve as the season moves along. I think there's just too much talent there, yeah, both at the plate and in the circle. 
um, playing an extremely tough non-conference schedule. Uh, like I said, I, I, I kind of see 2020 Alabama in them, and we thought Alabama was about to be at the spot where they're going to take off when things got shut down last year. LSU might be on that same trajectory. I am going to sell. Mm. Because I still think we're going to see a late season swoon. <laughs> they're getting uh, the uh, they're getting the early season, season swoon. swoon. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking they they flipped the script. Is my is what is is what I'm saying. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. I can I understand. I just I can't I can't get behind it. I wish I could. I want to. I think I like Beth Torina. I like their players. I like the roster. I like the pitching staff. But I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't okay. feel right to me. So I'm selling. Okay. There you go. All right. Before we finish off, buy or sell. Take a flyer, Tom. SEC flyer. Who do you who do you want to buy at a low price right now? From the SEC? Yeah. I am going, I would, I don't know how low the price is right now, but I might try to grab some of Arkansas. Dang it. You took mine. <laughs> I don't want to agree with you on everything. I'm sorry. Gonna, yeah. But I will pick Arkansas as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if you want, if you want Arkansas, I might, I might buy Tennessee. Then mm-hmm. I'll agree with what uh, Caleb Bro was saying earlier. Looks really good this weekend. Has one of the best pitchers in the league, and also uh, Shipman with the she had the the walk off in one of the games. I think yeah. uh, you know how much I like her. So uh, I'll I'll go with Tennessee then if, if you want Arkansas. Fine by me. I uh, but I think those are two good picks. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see either team in OKC. Sure. Yeah. Of course, I've said that about Arkansas before, and it went terribly. So it's terribly, terribly wrong. Maybe so we'll we see can what switch again. Who knows? And you know, after after Wednesday, when I finally get to see my Mississippi State Bulldogs in person, I'll be able to make a, a better judgment on them. I'm, I'm yeah. still tentatively on the bandwagon for Mississippi State, uh, but that pitching staff's going to have to do a whole lot better. It would feel like a real shame if we don't get Fale Lu and Mia Davidson to the World Series at some point. I mean, they're just too good. They need some sort of like, even if it's not World Series, like a like super regionals, some like yeah, some sort of major national spotlight on two of the best, scariest hitters in the conference. Yeah. As I look at speaking of the conference, the non-SEC games that are big in week three, nothing jumps out. I mean, Arizona plays South Florida a couple times, but all the big games this weekend center around the SEC. Yeah, 100%. If I was going to take a flyer on a non-SEC team, though, don't uh, don't sleep on Arizona State. Ooh. We, we saw them in uh, in uh, regionals last in, well, 2019. But we saw them there, and we saw all that they needed was a pitching, you know, something pitching-wise because they had the offense. You know, they hung with Oklahoma. They've They've played some big games already. Don't 100% just assume you're going to roll over the Sun Devils. I don't really – I don't know. I Like I – here's the thing. Kind of going back to my Landrunner gold mine, I feel pretty confident it's going yeah. to be a pretty chalky World Series. So, mm-hmm. I've kind of learned to trust Arkansas a little more now that I know Mary Half is pitching well. But maybe somebody else will woo me. Maybe I'll, you know, see something from a Big Ten team. We didn't get to talk to Caleb Rowe about that, but the Big Ten bubble was madness – and Minnesota lost three times. Michigan got swept by Illinois. How did our Hoosiers do? They split with Minnesota. They split with Nebraska. They swept Wisconsin four and two. There you go. Yeah, go Hoosiers. 
the 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 secondary team of the Alibox podcast. We are big fans of the Indiana Hoosiers. And now it's time to head home. We've got our final top five of the year before we get to picks starting next week. Yeah, Tom, conference play picks start next week. Woo! Wow. And uh, and we've got some more lessons. You know, we've learned a lot about the teams this week. And, and I think that we got some clarity about Alabama and Arizona, Washington, UCLA, uh, maybe not Washington, but Oklahoma. And we've seen, you know, the good teams win in a variety of different ways. Now it's time for us to teach some lessons to some people. In all oh, wow. Sounds That's all coming sounds up. Good. <laughs> <laughs> when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast, we'll be heading home in just a moment. had the rights to it we'd be playing closing time right now but instead we're just heading home here on the out of the box <laughs> podcast that's tom canterbury i'm gray robertson it's time for our final top five we've done a couple different things trying to fill the void of no picks it's been a <laughs> long time since we've made picks those will be back next week but we're going to wrap up top fives tom with our top five college softball stadiums now you can rank this however you want we're going to go five to one I elected for personal reasons not to include roads in my top five. You can do so if you want to. Um, I just wanted to branch out a little bit. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with saying top five other than the Rhodes house. Okay. Love roads. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be number one for me, but it would be go. number two for me. <laughs> we'll get to it in a second. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Now, keep in mind, I'm going first on off the wall, <laughs> but okay. I'll, then, I'll, I'll go first. All okay. right. From five to one. Five to one. All right. Well, my number five then will be just because of the magnitude of the stadium itself, what happens at that stadium each and every year. I'm going to put Oklahoma City uh, at number five, a ASA Field, Hall of Fame Stadium, but I can't remember what it, like it had a actual sponsor. Oh, energy, uh, energy's in yeah, there. Isn't an it? energy field of some, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but I will go with that. Uh, the only drawback is in the, I like our new broadcasting perch at, uh, in Oklahoma City, I wish the windows open. If the windows opened, it would be higher than number five. But the lack of open windows is keeping it at number five for me. Uh, but overall, a great spot to crown a champion every year. Totally agree with everything, including the windows bit. And uh, I elected not to put it on the list just because the the Hall of Fame stadium we know is not the Hall of Fame stadium that is there right now. So. Yeah. I want to see what that looks like. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, we can do that. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I agree, it's a great, it's a great spot. You couldn't ask for a better place to host the World Series. Yeah. Maybe a place where it rains at key times slightly less, but <laughs> maybe a place where the tornado risk is a little bit lower during the actual World Series. That doesn't eliminate something from later on, too. So just a little, little foreshadowing. Ooh. All right, my number five. Rainbow Wahine Softball oh, Stadium <laughs> in Hawaii. How did I not? Oh, I didn't even put that on the list. Congratulations to Heather Tarr and the Washington Huskies. They're going there this weekend. I'm jealous. Uh -huh. uh. I'm flipping jealous. I will trade a thousand Mississippi State games to go to Hawaii again. My gosh. Yes. There will never be in my entire life a better video that I take walking into an arena or a stadium or a ballpark or anything in my entire life 
than the video that I took walking onto that field the first time with the palm trees and the sun shining down and the blue sky. I've never had more fun in an atmosphere like I did those days in Hawaii calling games with you. It, we oh. didn't have a booth. We we made do with Don't what care. we had. Yeah, Don't it didn't care. matter. It did yeah. not matter. Oh, it was awesome. I love that we had, I think we had the same guy that was sitting under like two rows behind us that would turn around and laugh every once in a while when he heard what we were talking about. Oh my God, you can't, cannot beat the, uh, just the, the setting of Hawaii. Yeah. It 100% lived up to all the hype. Um, if you ever get a chance, once, once everything's back to normal or as close to normal as we can get, if you get the chance and someone says, let's go to Hawaii, go to Hawaii. Go it, to Hawaii. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. All right. I, I'm number four, Tom. Oh, I can't believe I forgot Hawaii. Uh, number four, I'm going to go, and this may be the biggest upset of this podcast maybe ever. My number four stadium, not at all because of the press box, because there isn't really one. The setup is not the best for broadcasting, but because of the setting, uh, because of the access that you have to other things around, I'm going to go with Washington. Wow. Yeah. Tom, I have known you for, was it five years, four years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not going to bring out the bleeper, but you've talked a lot of crap about that stadium. Right. About the setup. I, I hated it. But, and I hate, I hated most of the games that I got to call there. But, I mean, you got the, the water pa- past left field. The weather is, is really nice when it's not raining. And it doesn't rain as much as, as you want it to think it does. The fact that we could literally just walk into the football stadium which is off to our right, and walk around the football stadium, take all that in. Uh, I, it, it was really cool. Again, the results of most of the games were not really cool. Uh, the fact that we had to go out there twice in the same year was not a fan of that. The seemingly, it seemed like that flight took longer than the flight to Hawaii. So that's another reason I didn't like that part. But just being there, the surrounding areas, I'll put Washington at number four. As well advertised, I've never been to Seattle. I'd not go to any of those games with you because of various conflicts right. and reasons. So I don't know, but you know, it does look pretty on TV. Um, yeah. My number four is Tiger Park at LSU. I like how easy it is to access. Parking is simple, no matter what, oh, yeah. whether you're with the team or in media or driving separate, like I do. And <laughs> you know, you just walk up the ramp and you're in the press box, and then you walk out the door and you're basically right on top of the dugout. I mean, everything is pretty centralized. It's also just mm-hmm. a fun place to watch a game. I know that my experiences in Tiger Park have been far better than most in Alabama's history and <laughs> right. most that you have seen overall throughout. But yeah, I, I was still pretty impressed by just the way things are and, and the ability to have so many people in the outfield just kind of putting out the blankets and the chairs. I think it's, I think it's a really fun atmosphere that I'm sure does get loud at some points. So Tiger Park's my number four. Yeah, that was going to be Tiger Park was, is my honorable mention. Uh, They just barely missed out for me. Uh, Number three, I'm going to put Arkansas Mm. at number three, mostly one because the press box and, and our setup is really, really good there. It's a, the only drawback, is it's down the third base line a little bit. It's not right behind home plate. Uh, but other than that, the press box itself is is really good, kind of modern. So and, and then I, I just kind of like how you're you're a little bit down, so you can hit home runs actually onto a street, which is at the same level. It's kind of reminding me of Georgia's football stadium where you could walk on the street and look down. You can hit home runs there, you can hit home runs onto the onto the bluff and the hill 
as well. I really kind of like that setup. Fayetteville is really nice once you get there. It's just a t- it, getting there is just, oh, <laughs> it is a haul. But it, the Fayetteville itself is, is a nice is a nice city, and that's a nice setup. So I'll put Arkansas at three. Bogle Park is on my list. Bogle. I'll get to it later on. My number three is Hillenbrand Stadium, Arizona, the Rita. I like uh, the renovations they made when we got to go in 2019. I I love kind of what you said about Washington, the accessibility. Now, I know that every gate was closed once we got in the football stadium, but we <laughs> could walk around campus yeah. and, and see a good bit down in Tucson. I think it's just a cool atmosphere. I guess my one drawback would be they don't really have a radio booth. I feel yeah. like we could have really gotten to experience the magic of Hill and Brand of what makes it so special if we had gotten to open a window and be out with the people or, or just get to hear them. Yeah. That's what kept it off of the top five for me was that it was, there wasn't a separate way to radio booth. So we were in with the rest of the media and I felt like we were kind of probably bothering them, <laughs> yeah. doing, you know, trying to do our broadcast, but agree with that. I love the mountains that are around the whole thing. So whatever you look in the horizon, it's a, you know, a great setup and, and just a, a great setting in Tucson. So uh, that's that it would be on that. Um, honorable mention for me as well all right number two is and this one if you're watching if you're watching on tv the outfield doesn't look like much there's not really a whole lot happening back there this is solely on the fact that i love the press box and i love everything that, that is around it it's it's a, and it's relatively new and modern i'm going to go with kentucky for number two. Ah, see this is yeah. one of those that i have not been to because i missed that series a couple years ago we will go this year yes and I, you will love it. it it's it's really nice. Uh, it's connected actually back behind it to the soft uh, to the soccer stadium. It, it's just and but it's not like a like those seventies all purpose type things that they're each their own individual things. But there is a connection. It, it's I think it's a really cool design, really good setup. Again, the press box itself is just it's really nice. All right, I'm excited to see it. We'll get to go there yeah. in a couple of weeks. My number two is Bogle Park. Everything you said, I love that park. I actually, like you said, I really like Fayetteville. We just hit it in terrible weather. Yeah. But I'm hoping that this time around's a little better. Like all the all the new uh, parks have been built, there just needs to be a few more seats. I, I think everybody built a little too small. Uh, but overall, yeah, I agree. I think it, that could be one of the best places in the league. Uh, my number one. Uh, is in somewhere else in the league, Davis Diamond. Not even uh, close. It, uh, my gosh. It, it is an absolute palace. Whether you're a fan, a media member, a broadcaster, a player, it had all the amenities. It's I mean, it, it's like if, if there was a Major League Baseball version of softball, it would be that type of park. Like it, all the all professional softball teams should have that type of park. I know I'm supposed to say Rhodes is my favorite stadium in softball, but it's it's Davis Diamond, and it, like I'm sorry, but everything at Davis Diamond is easy. Field access is easy. When you park at Davis Diamond, you get out of the car, you walk through the doors, you go up the elevator, you're right outside the radio booth. You yeah. go back in the elevator, you get right to field level, you walk into the dugout. Everything is easy there. Everything is nice. Everything is spacious. Kaha radio booth is the size of the entire Rhodes press box. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't get better. A&M had the money to, to spare and they spent it wisely. I continue to be impressed by that place. After this year, I'm totally okay if the SEC says every SEC tournament until the end of time is at College Station. It's a great city anyway. Davis yeah. Diamond is is 
incomparable across the country. And I don't even have to go to other places to, to know that. Yeah. It, it's, it's just very impressive and they did it and it's not gaudy. It's like, you can tell they spent all this money, but they, it's, they don't throw it in your face. It's just, it, it, it's just nice. And it, and it has like, the space is amazing. Um, just, it, it feel, it's, it's a great place to broadcast from. It's a great place just to watch a game at. Uh, and it seems like it'd be a great place to play at. The only thing that's missing is a good team. That's it. Oh, yikes. Ouch. Sorry, but it's true. I mean, yeah, I they, yeah. uh, can you imagine yeah. that place packed with like a 10th mm. ranked team in the country? 10, number 10 A&M versus, you know, hosting number six, Florida. God, yeah. put me in there immediately. Yeah. I'm, oh. yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Davis Diamond's number one in, in both of our lists. And I think it's, it's pretty clear. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about what isn't rated highly for us. Okay. Are we going to do a bottom five? So. <laughs> well, not stadiums, but we're going to get to some things that, that we don't like here in the off the wall segment. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. By yeah, the way, yeah. bottom five, uh, I don't like being in huts with bees, but other than no. that, we understand in a pandemic year, we don't get it when everyone's perfectly fine and healthy. Right. Yep. It's time for off the wall. I'm going All to right. think very clearly about how I want to share today's messages. First, a word on social media criticism. Look, I think everyone has the right to express their own opinion. You know what's really great? Message boards and all those places, you know, there are comment sections across the country where you can spout out certain things. What I don't love is seeing criticisms that are broad on celebratory posts. So I'm talking final score graphics and game notes or, or a wrap up of some kind, something like that. And I noticed on one social media platform, there was a gentleman or woman, we're not isolating anyone out, who made the same comment on two different post-game posts. The comment was along the lines of, hitting was not good, but pitching was. And then the next post, again, saying, we beat Troy, where everybody else is commenting, congratulations. Hitting struggle, but pitching was great. Slipping in a little diss on the backhanded compliment. And as I have said in the past, if you're going to actually create criticism and comment on the games, give it a little nuance. All right. Hitting struggled. Yeah. They had three hits. We all saw the game. The stats are right there. Thank you. You're not breaking any news. Also, they're playing a really good pitcher, but I guess we can get to that later. But you know, I look at how I break down pitchers, Tom, because I watch a lot of film when we get ready for these games and tournaments. And, you know, when you ask me, what does a pitcher throw when we start a broadcast? Is my answer, oh, she's real good. <laughs> yeah, usually a little bit more in depth than that. Yeah. A little bit. And I would just like to see that a little more from people when they, when they want to delve into it, when they want to give the criticism, give some evidence, show your yeah. work. That's kind of what I want to see. Hitting may have struggled. Why did it struggle? Because Leanna Johnson's a darn good pitcher. Okay. That's something that's always bothered me. I don't know why we're just adding little tiny complaints that are as broad as me saying the sky is blue 
yeah. to a congratulatory post on a celebratory yeah. spread. I would say, yeah, the, the main thing that bothers me with those is, again, time and place. Why you feel the need, again, as a fan of the team that won, do you feel the need to criticize that team on a post talking about the victory? If you want to, I don't know why you need to do this anyway, but if you need to do that in some other time, maybe then, maybe, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more understood at that point, but I don't know why. I don't know if it's an Alabama thing or if it is a, it is a, you know, any fan base has this type of thing, but it, it seems like it, it, there's just this need to point out the negatives all the time. Alabama would have loved to have run ruled everybody during the Crimson Classic. It didn't happen, but Alabama went five and zero, oh, and the pitching was absolutely dominant. Mm-hmm. Why don't we celebrate that instead of talk about well, we wish Alyssa Brown would have gotten more hits? Also, or, yeah. just understanding context, notoriously, and I've got stats to back it up. Alabama just doesn't score as much in the Crimson Classic. I don't know why, but yeah. they score considerably less in that event than, than they do the Bama Bash. And, how it and is. historically, Alabama usually plays tougher competition in the Bama Bash than they do the Crimson Classic. Yeah. It's just I it's just one of those things. But it just I just don't understand that mindset that a lot of Alabama fans have it of let's point out negatives after instead of celebrating wins. Because by the way, we win a lot in a lot of sports. Especially right now. Yeah. We're the rating and defending conference champions in football, men's basketball, and softball. Three of the biggest sports on campus. Let's be happy <laughs> instead of point out, yeah, well, yeah, but we lost to Arkansas and had to go to Mississippi State to win in basketball. Yeah, we're, we'll still win the conference by multiple games. My second right. lesson, Tom, before we get to your off the wall. Okay, all right. Yeah. It's the uh, I, I think it, we're ready for the next step in college softball coverage. We have done a great job across this sport and across this country making sure that softball has a platform. Whether people know how to press play or not, the games are push, being streamed. Just just push the button. Just push, just the, button. push the button. Just there are great publications out there where you can read awesome articles. Our friend Tara Henry and Bree Potkey and now Graham Hayes at D1 Softball turn out oh. awesome stuff. Oh, my gosh. ESPN yeah. still dishes out some good stories even without Graham Hayes. Softball America has stuff. Our friends at Justin's World of Softball, they have the scoop to everything. And they turn out these great interviews and the circle does as well. We've got so much out there covering the sport on a national stage and so much out there covering schools in this sport at a quote unquote local or statewide stage. I think that's great. Now it's time for us to really pick and choose which coverage we trust. Because there's a difference between following a sport and being invested in a sport and just covering a team. When you cover a team, you look at everything through the prism of that team and your opinions filter through your work without taking in the greater context of the national landscape of softball, what other teams look like yet. You know, stats might say something, but how much more do you understand, you know, what Team X looks like this year? in the big picture of their conference. I think it's really important for readers and listeners of content like this to be very mindful about understanding and trusting the sources that spit out some of the things that they read and hear. 
if that makes sense. You have a thought here, Tom. Yeah, because I don't want, I, and I don't want this to be like, if you're only covering, if you're a beat writer only covering one team, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, right. that's, that's great. That's actually, that is evidence that the sport is growing, that each team has a beat writer and that, that, that you are only covering the team. And there are some people that are only fans of softball because they're fans of a specific team. For they sure. Will watch, if they'll watch that team play, they could care less what else, what else is happening. And that's fine. I, if those are, if you're listening to this podcast, I appreciate it. That's I, I'm not saying you have to be in depth knowledge of everybody that's in the nation. Uh, But I think part of, part of, I think what you're wanting is what you're getting at is if you are that type of beat writer, then maybe you shouldn't be making proclamations about the rest of college softball and -hmm. other teams when it's obvious you don't have the knowledge to do so. Exactly. I think that there is a power in those publications because people read that and trust that if Mm -hmm. you in an article and I'm not shouting out anyone in particular, but say, say that you're an LSU beat writer and you write that Duke is a bad loss for LSU. People will believe that, you know, what is not true that Duke is a bad loss for LSU. That's a good team Mm -hmm. out there in Durham that went into Baton Rouge and beat LSU. But if yeah. you don't do your research, if you just see the name Duke, then people will believe that if you write it. I'm not asking for, like you said, for people to know everything. I go way too hard with softball. I was freaking watching Utah UCLA on a Arizona State student stream today because that's just how I think. I, yeah. I'm, I'm almost too invested in the sport to the point where I feel like the group chat I'm in with Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, and Emily Pitek is going to get muted on all their phones because I won't shut up about some of the results on the weekends. <laughs> I can see them. Oh my God, Gray, nobody cares. It is 1145. <laughs> we don't care about UTEP and incarnate words. Stop it. <laughs> but that being said, yeah, it's not asking too much to do a little digging. And this is where I do get a little pointed. There is a publication out there. I'm not going to call them out by name, but I, from what I understand, this writer listens to us, whether it be on the air, whether it be on this podcast, I don't know, but he knows who we are and he is aware. And I want to extend an invitation to you, Mr. Writer. And I say Mr. Writer, because I don't know your name because it is nowhere. Ask us questions. If you have a question for your article, let us know. You can ask us. We want to help. We want to continue the growth of the sport. We want to make sure the Alabama fan base is informed. My DMs are open. Same for Tom. Ask us a question. Ask us about the run rule. Ask us about Louisville and how to watch those games and how to stay tuned because they did happen, actually. Now, it wasn't a hypothetical thing. Yeah, I went back and did some reading last night. I didn't sleep very much. That was something that was said. Uh, ask about the the Sun Belt. You know, Troy is a good team. They're not going to win the Sun Belt. They shouldn't win the Sun Belt. The, the team that should win the Sun Belt is Louisiana. It's a top 10 national team. Yeah, just a little bit of research there. Don't compare Sarah Cornell hitting to Rachel Garcia hitting. Rachel Garcia Ugh. might be the most clutch hitter in UCLA history. Right. That might like, be overstepping, but definitely in the last five or 10 years, she no. has been the key batter in big moments. 
She was not hitting unnecessarily. She was hitting for a reason. No. And that was backed up by Jen Schroeder, former UCLA right. catcher, when I sent her that clip. That, that's the softball is not baseball. Pitchers, you actually, if you have a pitcher that can hit, that is a huge, huge plus for you. Yep. You know, Alabama won a national title because of Jackie Traina's arm, but I would right. also argue they they might not win a national title without her bat, too. Yep. Yep. And 100%. 100%. I think that I just want to extend an invite to this author to, to ask us before you press send on some of those articles. If you have questions about the rules or about the context of the sport, if you want to know anything, and, and if we don't know the answer, I'll ask somebody. I'll revive the group text if if I'm not muted by Jen, Amanda, and, and Emily <laughs> and see if they can answer. But reach out, okay? And make sure that everything that you put out into the world is accurate because people trust you and listen to you and we want to make sure that the content for softball going out to the world is the best possible content that readers and listeners and viewers can take in. That's all I have to say about that. Good stuff. Cause opinions while impossible to be wrong can be ill-informed. Yeah. And, uh, and when you're put them along with things that are factual, like stats and game results, people will, will take those opinions uh, to heart so you, you want to be informed when you're putting out opinions the only other off the wall thing that i wanted to add in is just a note in general note if someone is not playing in a game that doesn't mean they're benched <laughs> it it just means they're not playing in that particular game there might be a reason they might come in later in the game now if they don't play for three weeks yeah, they're probably benched if they're not injured. But if they are just not in the lineup once, especially this year when we when there are so many players, it's just <laughs> they're not playing. They're not benched. There's nothing wrong. No one's in the doghouse. It's fine. You know who's not hurt, Tom? The pitcher that threw a complete <laughs> game last night. You know who is playing? The pitcher who threw a no-hitter that day. There can only be one pitcher at a time. I would love to see... A scenario where both Lexi Kilfoyle and Montana Fouts are pitching at the same time. I don't think it's possible. There's probably going to be a game this year where Bubba Nichols doesn't play in the outfield for UCLA. I don't know if it's happened yet, but there's probably one. She's not going to be benched. I promise you that. You know what's really exciting, Tom? What's that? You and I are back together on Friday. Do you know I that? know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody going, being all ESPN TV guy, leaving me back. Yeah, we but actually are going to have a, 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 I think, a really high viewership total on Wednesday, which will be fun. But Friday, <laughs> yes, got the Kent State doubleheader. I will be back at Rhodes. I've almost forgotten what my chair feels like. <laughs> radio booth. And yeah. because we'll be there, I'm going to stick them in my car right now. I'm going to bring koozies and stickers and everything. So just come up to the window prior and I'll, I'll give you a little something, people, yes. if you're in the house. Friday yeah. against Kent State. Save masked up and uh, enjoy it. There are a lot of people that want to come to these games. Make sure that you find a way to get a butt in every available seat on Wednesday against yeah. Mississippi State. I don't want to see any green check marks that aren't sat in. So let's get let's get everybody there. If you have tickets but you can't make it, you know, donate them, sell them, trade them. Let's let's get everyone there. Uh, okay. Well, we will both be there in person on Friday. You'll be there every other day of the week. I'll be yeah. off at our secret 
remote bunker in the <laughs> right. SEC Network headquarters dungeon. So, Tom, you'll be tweeting pictures of Rhodes. Where can people find that? I will. Yes, you can get that at a T Canterbury RTR and follow that on Twitter. And yeah, you're right. I that's one thing I am doing because when, when you're not there, I know you take care of it when you are there. But uh, uh, if there is a delay, which sometimes happens, especially in tournament situations, those type of things, I put out when the airtime is and the start time is of games every game. So uh, check that out. Uh, T Canterbury RTR might even get some other Alabama sports and or wrestling content as well. All of the above. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. You can follow the show at out of the box underscore pod. And Tom, if they do want to tune in, where can the people find you and then us on Friday and then you again the rest of the weekend? Yes, uh, every game uh, in Tuscaloosa over the air on 93.3 FM. Uh, and or if you would like to listen to us online, praise933.com or the praise app, download it and uh, you can uh, listen to every game. Uh, another way, just go to rolltide.com and the schedule um, schedule page. There's a link to live stats, live audio, and live video. Yes. And if you want to watch the stream, which we will also be simulcast on the stream on Friday, just press the damn button. That's it. That's just, all I have to say. Just, just click it. Just There's, press the button. That's all we've got. Thank you to our dear friend, Caleb Bro. Tom, I've enjoyed this show. It's always good to see you. And uh, it's yeah. going to be another big week in softball. And Very the fun. division finale on Friday. And one division. What's going to happen? Will I cry, laugh, cheer, or all three? <laughs> Are you describing me watching the WandaVision finale or calling an Alabama softball game? Let's find out. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I've owned myself like five times you, here in this you broadcast. Did. Well done. <laughs> that probably means it's time to wrap this up. That's <laughs> it for this episode of Out of the Box. A giant thank you goes to our dear friend, Caleb Bro. And of course, all of you, thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. As I, I said earlier, we hope that the content that is delivered to you softball fans is is worthy of the sport that is being presented. And I would like to think that we're a part of that. And we really do appreciate everyone that tunes in, you know, no matter what they're trying to get out of the show. 100%. Again, your support does mean the world to us. And we've got a lot of games. Wednesday, Alabama, Mississippi State. Friday, doubleheader with Kent State. Saturday, we've got the Northern Iowa doubleheader. Sunday, a matchup with South Alabama. Tom's got all the coverage on the praise. I've got the TV booth with Sydney Little, John Watkins, and Rachel Bobo Calhoun. And then we all collide on Friday for the simulcast for the ages with Alabama and Kent State. So for my partner, Tom Canberra, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. Boy, it's just getting better and better. And this will be a special week as well. We'll see you next time on the Outbox Podcast.